Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I will bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the RAG podcast. On this week's show, I'm joined by Anthony Pitt. Anthony is the president of Hanover Search USA and has been in the recruitment industry since 1996. I love this episode because Anthony was so candid and straight down the line with his experience. Okay, so he's running a business now in the US of over 30 people and globally there's 70 man business headquartered in London, specializing in financial services recruitment. Anthony's been doing that since 1996 in various forms. What's really interesting about this episode is Anthony talks about his challenge with alcohol addiction. He was a complete alcoholic previous to moving to the US. So he lived in London for a long time, from London, built his recruitment career in London, had a real issue with alcohol to the point where it was affecting everything in his life. And he decided to move to the US to change everything. What happened is when he got to the US, it didn't make any difference and it also affected him there until he went into rehab. In this episode, Anthony breaks down his story, how alcohol addiction can affect anyone, but also how with the right help and support, you can come out the other side and do wonderful things. He's now running a multiple million dollar business. He's bought two homes in the US and he's more excited about his career and he's got more energy than he's ever had before. So anyone who is interested in the challenges we have outside of work and how we can get through tough times and still build a great business is going to be inspired by this show. I hope you enjoy every word of it without further ado. Anthony, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hi, nice to see you. I know, it's great. It's, uh, it is currently 2 p.m. UK time and it is 6 a.m. LA time, which is... Uh, it's bonkers. 6 o'clock, it's dark and it's raining like it's been raining since January the 1st here. Mate, I just, I can't Crazy. believe it. You said this offline. I'm, I'm, I think you're lying, Anthony. I think you're trying to make me feel better. <laughs> I could turn the camera around if you want, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. Whereabouts in LA specifically are you? So we are in, our offices are in Torrance, which right. is, um, if you know LA, um, there's a bunch of beach cities just south of LAX, the airport. So we're, we're just along there, pretty close to the ocean. Um, most of the team here live within sort of 10, 15 minutes by the pretty, beach. Pretty so, amazing. Uh, what yes. about yourself? Do you live in Torrance or are you? No, I live in Redondo. Redondo, um, I know it. Yeah, I've got oh. a got a home very close to the beach there. Yeah, I, um, I um, when I was out there in twenty two thousand six coaching football, I lived in uh, Redondo and uh, yeah, yeah, I stayed with a family slightly inland, and we the the, the beach Hermosa Beach was like the name of the camp. 
Right. But then uh, it was there was people from Manhattan, Redondo, and Hermosa all in this one. I'm oh like, yeah, I, you know the area well. Yeah, Hermosa's yeah. like I call it Vegas by the sea. It's, yeah, I love uh, it. I it's love crazy it. down there. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I was I'm there in September. That I went for a walk around there in September. I didn't, I didn't go in the in the morning. It was like seven a.m. I went for a walk. <laughs> and I, had, I had breakfast. Oh, there's an unbelievable cafe on the way to Manhattan Beach on the right. You go, you go up the beachfront from from Hermosa to Manhattan, and then it's on the right hand side. It's just it's a little little cafe on a on a road. It's like a it's like Good a stuff. No, it's like a woman's name, I think. Oh, I know what you mean. Um, it was incredible, anyway. Yeah, not that it matters, but it was amazing. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I could live here. I want to be here. Yeah. Um, well, Anthony, we're getting into we're getting into let's get into the real stuff. So, right. thank you for making the time so early. I'm thank sure my guests will be grateful for it. For those that don't know you, obviously, I've done a bit of an introduction, but I can never I can never do it justice. So, for for the listeners' benefit, give us an overview of you today, not the past. Your job, your business, headcount, what you guys do, etc. Okay. Uh, so I sit as the uh, co-founder and president of Hanover Search uh, US. Yeah. Um, Hanover globally is uh, headquartered in London, but I think we've got about 70 staff globally now. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I sit as the president of the US business. We have just shy of 30 staff now, uh, three uh, principal offices here, one here in, uh, in the LA area, one in New York City, downtown Manhattan and uh, we uh, we acquired a business last year in Chicago right uh, that uh, so that's the other main office there we've got a few other members of staff dotted around sort of remotely but so uh, they're they're the three main hubs amazing and what do you how would you describe what Hanover actually do obviously search and recruitment but specifically yeah. so in the US we are predominantly an executive search business mm -hmm. uh, and we specialize 95% in financial services. So um, Hanover traditionally in the UK was always built out of financial services. <clears throat> and over here, um, we, I guess we, most of our work is in um, wealth management, private banking, insurance, asset management, um, and the other ancillary parts of that. And is it C-level, just director level, C-level, et cetera, um, or across all areas of the businesses? Or? No, I mean, we'll we'll do a search for a um, $100,000 salary uh, right up to, you know, I'm currently working on a, you know, a seven-figure salary right. and, and anything in the, in, the, in the middle, really. Right. Okay. And that's across all divisions of those financial institutions? It, depend, it depends on the client. There are some clients that we're very, very, very close with, and our influence within that, within that client has sort of spread out amongst various, you know, um, disciplines within the organization. Um, the three directors here tend to specialize in, in different areas. So I'm predominantly ultra high net worth, wealth management and private banking. Yeah. Alex um, is Alex Curtis is comes from a technology background. So he's helped develop the technology practice and, and James Ridd is very much uh, insurance, uh, actuarial, that sort of, that side of things. Okay, wicked. So you're not a, an American by obvious nature. Um, you figured that, that much out. You so figured far. that one out with your London okay. accent. So tell us the story of, because you, you started life at Hanover in London, right? In, was it 1996? Yeah, I was, um, I was Hanover's first ever employee 28 years ago now. Wow. Um, in a previous life, I, I'd worked with James Emmett, who's the, the, the founder of, of Hanover, 
uh, as a life insurance salesman straight out of college. So right. cold calling and uh, I'll never forget the first cold call I ever did. I, I hid under the desk because um, <laughs> I was just given the yellow pages. There you go. So I worked with James for a couple of years doing that. He left and then um, he called me up one day and said, uh, hey, come and work for this new firm we're setting up. It's a recruitment firm. I said, what's that? So, um, you know, I always liked James. So I never forget, I turned up the first ever morning that Hanover existed. We were in an underground bunker in Covent Garden, London. Right. No windows, yeah, three classic. desks, three phones. And I thought, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> so that was 1996. Did you have what's that? Well, did you, you had a computer in, on your desk or just a phone? No. No, we didn't have we didn't know how to use them. So what did uh, you do then? They used to phone people, and how did I was, I was I was given the Pearl Assurance account. I don't know whether you remember that firm. Nope. They were a bit like the Prudential, right? And uh, I used to honestly, it's just go in the yellow pages and just call up all the people at Prudential or uh, banks, financial advisors, and call them up. I used to do like 100, 150 cold calls a day. Um, James Emmett specialized in the actuarial field yeah, yeah. and he had a red box and a blue box uh, of you know roller decks you know index cards and it was like i think the red ones were qualified actuaries and the blue ones were non no one had a computer None so what were you putting in there though like paper cvs paper cards or what were no, just pa you know, paper roller decks cards so that he'd yeah. written and i'd right. written name title firm no we didn't have a database or anything yeah yeah wow um and that's how the business started so, but Hanover grew. What was your life like then? Just go back to you as a person. At that, at night in nineteen ninety six, just paint the picture of you as a person outside of work and what what commitments and stuff did you have? Uh, so I was twenty six. I'd sort of jumped around from industry. I'd spent uh, well. My first job was as a life insurance salesman, working for a firm called Laurentian Milden in London. Just becoming a financial advisor, three-day training course, and day four, I was out selling uh, savings plans. You know, I've got a red one and a blue one. Which, which, which one do you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the school of hard knocks. So I still make cold calls today. Yeah, you said um, that. Uh, so what was that? So I spent some time doing that. Then I was a estate agent for a few years, um, working for a firm called Raymond Bushell in Shepherd's Bush, London. I'll never forget that. Um, then I decided that um, I want to go and sail around the world. So uh, a friend of mine was a professional yacht skipper. I did a few. I never actually one one firm I worked for. I actually resigned from the middle of the Mediterranean um, <laughs> because I, I, I said uh, I think I said as you can see from my current position, I won't be in tomorrow. Yeah, and I'm not coming back. Um, and then right. that's when then I joined Hanover, single guide living in a flat with a couple of mates in London, you know, up, up and down the Fulham Road. I was 26 when I landed in London, single, living with two mates, enjoying yeah. a company called Venquis on, uh, on, on Trafalgar Square, Northumberland Avenue. I mean, I, I had a bit of recruitment experience, but I can I can massively empathize in that, that, that your life yeah. at that point. I had no money, but I knew what I wanted from life. No, yeah, I mean, London, I mean, I used to. I loved living in London in the, in my twenties and thirties. It was uh, it was great fun. Um, yeah. You know, up and down the Fulham Road, Chelsea Road, Chelsea, and um, yeah, it was great. 
So how did your career progress? I don't want to go into like every year because it's 28 yeah. years. But how, how did you how would you describe the early days of your and the, and how the business moved with it? Because you were right in from day one. I was, yeah. So Hanover very quickly grew. Um, we moved to some offices um, in the city. And within a couple of years, there was probably 20 people working at the firm, I would say. Uh, I, I sort of developed myself a little niche in the, in the wealth management sector. And I was placing what back then were called broker consultants. These were people that would uh, sell financial products to financial advisors. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, and then I, I left Hanover uh, and went to work for another firm called Alexander Lort, a guy called Martin MacArthur. Mm-hmm. Um, funny enough, they were in, they were in an underground bunker as well. And, <laughs> why, why did you leave Hanover the first time? Um, didn't really get on with J- James's uh, then business partner. Right. Um, I mean, we we were friends, but it's just it was it became un- untenable. And how how had the, the business grown in the time you were there? Oh, triple quadrupled. I mean, Hanover was was flying back then. Mm. Um, still is flying, but yeah, it grew very very fast. Um, and. Uh, I, I just wanted to do. I just wanted to work somewhere else. So, so I left, and then we must be in the mid to late, no, early two thousands by now. And um, I always wanted to to work in the US and, and live in the US. And my mother was uh, had become a US citizen. She was living in the US. Right. Um, I'd spent some time out here in Hermosa Beach and surrounding areas. And I'll never forget it. One, one February, dark February evening, I, I just went, okay, I've had enough of this. So I, I went online and I typed in financial services recruiter beach, Los Angeles. And this guy's name came up called Bill Willis. And uh, he ran a, re- a wealth management recruitment firm up in Palos Verdes, which I knew, I knew where that was. That was nice. So I called him up. I said, um, Bill, my name's Anthony. You don't know me, but you're going to hire me. He goes, who the hell are you? So we got talking. And he is said, he American or is he British? Or? No, he's an American guy. He's an American guy. Never spoken to him before. I called, called him, basically. And um, he said, well, come and see me. So I said, I'll be there Friday. So I turned around, flew back out. Um, he offered me the job. And I went, mm, slight problem, though. I need a visa. Oh, you didn't tell me that. So the visa actually took three years to get. I mean, it was a lo- even being the son of an American citizen, it, it proved a long, a long and uh, difficult process. But I arrived here, and if you're a s- student of the markets in February '09, yeah, 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 which was the very, very bottom of Good day, that. the the global financial crisis. That's what did. How long you you waited three years from meeting Bill to joining Bill? It took that long to get the visa through. He had to advertise the job. I mean, we we had to jump through so many hoops. What did you do in that meantime? I, I carried on working at um, Alexander Lord. Did you find that was difficult when you knew you were mentally leaving, like to carry no, on? No, because I, I told Martin I wanted to go, and he always knew I was going to go. Right. right. Uh, and I was I was doing really well then. I was you know doing some good numbers, making some good money. Yeah. Um, and um 
finally the visa came through on uh christmas eve 2008 it got uh got delivered to my to my front door and i went right martin i'm going i'm gone <laughs> so off i went and i arrived and so many people have heard this story i arrived here in february 09 with literally three bags of clothes i packed up my apartment in in fulham uh rented it out turned up here with nowhere to live went and met bill i said right what are we going to do and uh i had a like a half hour lesson on the wealth management industry here with bill and monday morning he said there's a list of advisors call them yeah and where I did thought, you live what did you what, how did you find um, i lived in a huh, i lived in a hotel for a week got up got on a bicycle and just you know rode around and find found somewhere to live of course here i had no credit history so bill had to guarantee my apartment and yeah yeah all that stuff uh he lent me a car and uh you know for the next two years i would come in six o'clock every morning i'd make minimum of 100 cold calls a day to financial advisors and within a within a couple of months i suddenly realized hang on i'm getting a lot more callbacks than anyone else here and i'm not saying anything different and i suddenly twigged it's it's my accent yeah um and that's how i established my uh brand i guess in 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 the us in the us wealth management market you were the british guy who phones everyone up yeah and i that's all the time that bar lean remember lehman went down yeah and barclays bought them so i decided well i should work with barclays because they're a british bank so we had this british guy calling on behalf of a british bank in the us and it, it worked I wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to update you on what it is I actually do all day, apart from the RAG podcast, of course. Now, most of you know from the episodes that I am the founder of Hoxo, right? What you probably don't know is that we're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies and over 4,000 of their recruiters around the world in every continent and helping these businesses brand themselves and the people in the company better. Now. We have built a creative team over the last six years that helps manage the creation of new agency brands. Obviously, the, a lot of the listeners in the RAG are starting their businesses uh, for the first time. But more often than not, we rebrand tired companies. So many businesses we work with are smashing it when it comes to revenue and performance, but their website and their online story was built back when they started for like 500 quid and it just does not represent who they are today. So we believe getting that right becomes your, building a brand becomes your anchor. Now, every good brand also needs traffic, right? You need people to see it, to come to the website, see you online, and that's where your people come in. So we work to either manage the personal brands of your team, or we can teach you how to build the brand yourselves. All of it is designed to give you consistency on LinkedIn that helps you stand out from the competition show your personality, show and add value, and ultimately make more money. Now, I personally speak to potential new customers along with my business partner, Amma. So I would love to spend some time with you, my RAG listeners that I potentially don't even know yet. Any of you that are interested in building a brand that's fit for purpose in 2023 and beyond, come and speak to us. Just click the link in the show notes, fill in the form, and we will be in touch with you within 48 hours to book a 30 minutes video call ASAP. Right, back to the show. And what, when it came to the job, you were phoning financial advisors with the aim of 
finding out if they were open to a, to be yeah and, and did you have the client base or were you then having to then find the client base no you, we didn't you didn't need the client well yes we had the clients but that's not the hard part the hard part yeah. is finding a, these advisors get four or five calls a day yeah there's yeah. thirty thousand of them in the us and bad. they they get three or four calls a day but my idea was i'm going to sound a bit different i'm calling on behalf of barclays and um yeah we you know, i became one of bill's top billers within a very short space of time what so what you, you what age were you when you got there uh 39 right and did you at that point again did you have any was there anything going on in the uk family or anything you need to could you could could you could, could you dedicate to the us or did you have oh yeah no i completely dedicated to the us oh, yeah. i think that's that's key isn't it what was it really like i went there for three months i was 19 and 20 and and i I was in a relationship with a girl who was in Pennsylvania and I was in LA yeah. and I was just a kid looking back. I'm like, oh, why didn't I make the most of that? But I didn't. Yeah. But what, what was it really like culturally to take, to get there and, and become <laughs> living in the U S because it looks amazing. I've been on that many holidays and you watch movies and everyone, everyone in the recruitment industry talks about go out there and you're going to double your income and blah, blah, blah. What's it really like to culturally live in the U S especially a city like LA? Well, when I first got here, I didn't know anyone um of course so i had to you know build a, a whole new i mean i'd had issues previously which i've spoken to you about before which we can talk about if you want so i really thought it was um something a, a chance for a new new life new career for me and I, I remember actually my leaving party at alexander law when i left one of the all the comments were we'll see you in a month we'll see you in three months or something. They, didn't, they didn't think i'd last um but look, it, it, of course, it's very different. The fact they speak the same language or almost the same language is um, is, is very useful. But the outdoor lifestyle here is so different to to London. London now feels. I mean, I love London, but it feels very close and mm. you know um, cramped. Here, you, you're outdoors all the time. Um, and and business wise, I think the um, it's just. It, it, it felt easier to do business here. You could call someone up; they always t they'll take your call. You want to call the the head of a, uh, a wealth management business. You can you can leave a message and they'll call you back. It's just business is um, really really encouraged here. Um, you know, because it's a highly highly capitalistic world country, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So and, and culturally. Um, California is very um, like the the UK. I mean, there are obviously I don't know other parts of the US as well, but I know I know this part, and it just it just it fit. It worked for me. And let's go into that then. So you talked about the challenges you had before. Tell us about what was going on before you got to the US. Um, so I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, have been now for. Oh, I've lost count. 12, 13 years. Um, when I moved out to the US, I still had the issues. And when I, while I was working with Bill, these those issues got worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point, it actually culminated in a lifelong friend of mine arriving at my doorstep. I'd been on a two or three week drinking binge, not been at work. And he came and airlifted me out to west to a place in western supermare called broadway lodge right which uh i'm grateful 
to to him and to them to, to you know to this day they saved my life and um i had to, i spent eight weeks in a residential uh treatment center and then bill bless him kept my kept my my position open actually paid me a bit of money while i was over there i actually made some placements while i was in there <laughs> um and uh, and came back and um yeah, I mean, look, it was uh, alcoholism is a is a really terrible disease. Uh, it can affect anyone. But I was. Tell us how it started. So obviously the, the classic thing in this industry is you get into it, you work hard, you play hard, you go to incentive, yeah. you take clients out. If you're yeah. meeting financial advisors in London and you're working with like minded people, yeah, you're going to drink probably midweek, at least multiple times. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember getting to Friday in London and it's probably, it's very different in the North, I think, but in the yeah. South, you know, you get to Friday and you're knackered. Like you'd been drinking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. And then you fuck it. Friday night, you're like, I'm going home. Well, Thursday <laughs> became the new Friday in London, yeah. for sure. And in, but up North, I mean, all my mates used to, you know, they'd be in the week, they'd be playing football and go to the gym. And then on a Friday, they'd go out and hit it hard. It was like, it's yeah. a different mindset. But so tell us your story then around how, how working in this industry and then, and how did it all culminate? I don't think it's necessarily anything to do with the industry. I think right. if you're an alcoholic, you're an, you could be an alcoholic working in, in, in any industry. Certainly it didn't help the fact that, um, you know, God, I remember at Hanover in London, I, I went out every night for 14 nights straight. We were trying to make, you know, trying to beat the record sort of thing. Wow. But Thursday, it got to the, Sean, you know, I missed I missed the odd Friday from work, and that's that's when you start realizing you there's probably a problem. But in your thirties, you you brush it off. You go, oh, you're fine. Um, and um, but but what, uh, would, you, would you would you finish work and start drinking, or would you be drinking in the day? Or how would it go? No, no, I wouldn't drink during the day. It, yeah. it was I would go out perhaps on a Thursday night and just keep going all Thursday night. Wake up Friday, you know true alcoholics wake up in the morning most people wake up and go oh god i feel like feel like death i'm just gonna get through this but people with a problem wake up and go i need a drink to make myself feel better but then and then you're done because then that whole day's gone and then the same thing happens i mean towards the end i i would go on binges where i was doing a liter of vodka a day and i couldn't stop just could not stop and would your you whole body's shaking. Would you, would you be awake like through the day, or did, would it put you to oh, sleep? Intermittently, in and out, and also you uh, you isolate. So you unplug the phone, you shut the the blinds, you sneak out when it's dark to the shop to get some more drink. Um, oh, it's just it's it's a terrible, terrible situation. And, and you know um, when I when I see other people that are going through it, I mean, I still I get I had a call. From a lifelong friend about a month ago saying hey um my friend needs some help give me can you talk to her so you know i love i love trying to help people that are going through going through that same situation because i hit rock bottom i had to you know i was when i was here i was flat broke I'd, i had to sell my house in in england uh i was you know when we started I've jumped forward a bit. Yeah, now, we'll get back to the business in a minute, but yeah, um, when we started Hanover here with with James, I was personally probably two hundred and fifty grand in debt. Wow. Yeah, 
Uh, and that, most of that is from my, not all of it was from drinking, but just. It, what, it, how do you accumulate that debt through drinking? Is it like taking out credit cards? No, that? well, it wasn't, it wasn't all through drinking, but um, credit card debts, hadn't paid my taxes, uh, was stuff like that. It just gets on top of you. Yeah, um, you, you meant, and I'd had a I'd had a pretty bad run with the business as well. Right, um, but I don't think drinking helped. No, so you did you think moving to LA would be the bullet that would solve it? Did you yes. kind of think the sun and the outdoors and yeah, just a new exactly. environment? You think London's the problem for a while? Yeah, I mean, look, look I, I would never not knock London. I love it, but it is much more of it. there. It is um, that's that has been the culture. Yeah. Whereas here is not so much. Hmm. No, I went to an event in LA in September actually, and there was about a hundred entrepreneurs at, for for two and a half, three days, Friday, oh. Saturday, and then I left on the Sunday early. And there was um, we're all in this. Oh, it was a huge office, really cool office in um, where was it? Oh God, I can't remember the name of the place. It was right near the airport, near LAX, anyway. Um, and we're we're El Segundo. So in El yep. Segundo, it go into this building and, and there's a big fridge at the back of the room and it's got like a million drinks. Like I'm talking soda, you got your you got you, they love a sparkling water with flavor in America. I've never seen so many different yeah. brands. Yeah. There's about a billion of them. And then there was a load of beers, like I mean a lot of beers. And I remember on the Friday when we had like an interval about 4 p.m., I was like, anyone having a beer? And literally, I was the only Brit in the room, I think, and not one person was like, no, nah, right. And they yeah. all just went for the Everyone was just drinking sparkling water. And maybe, again, I was in a specific type of room. But over three days, I probably shared a beer with that one guy. And I was a bit like, yeah, I kind of felt out out of place a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not frowned upon here. But I'm convinced it's the outdoor lifestyle. Uh, And everyone wants to look good, feel good, you know, in the sun and stuff like that. Mm. I I really, I strongly feel that. Yeah, you don't want to, like take your clothes off if you're if you're no, packing, no. Packing your belly. <laughs> no, that's so, right. so let's go back into the story then so that, yeah. that has painting a lot of pictures for people so we get to la you joined bill yeah we're back, we're back at that point now so you, you you're right. bringing financial advisors on behalf of barclays you got the british accent it's starting to take off yeah. how did things progress from that point so when i came back from rehab i continued with bill and you know i'll be forever grateful to bill um but i I started feeling, hey, um, I could probably do this on my own. I've always wanted to set up my own business. So so I did. I, I, I left Bill. Um, my first call was to a guy called John Chudzik. Um, funny enough, John works for me now. Right. Um, at the time, John was head of recruitment at Barclays in the US. I called him up and say, hey, I've left. Can I work with you? And he, get, he gave me a retainer. Um, so I spent a year working from home literally making 150 cold calls a day. Hmm. Um, And then one of my friends and neighbors took an interest in what I was doing. He ran a small uh, private equity, family private equity business and suggested he invested some money in my business, which back then was called Opus. Right. And so I got some capital from him and we moved into some offices not far from here, but they were in a industrial estate in Torrance. And one night I had the idea, okay, so British accent kind of works. I'm in LA. 
I know, why don't I put an advert on, there's a group on Facebook called Brits in LA. So I said, um, part-time actresses required, British, Irish, Scottish, Australian, for part-time work, please, please get in touch. I ended up hiring four aspiring actresses and yeah. or students, British students, because I thought, well, you know, actress, they're good at delivering a script. So they used to come in four days a week and I gave them a script and they, they would make a hundred calls a day and boom, the, the phones lit up. Did they actually, cause I always think it takes a certain type of person to phone someone who they don't know and generate a conversation. And yeah, these, obviously, yeah, I suppose they have to go into auditions all the time, but they, yeah, they, they, they had no fear, no fear at all. No. Wow. It worked. So that's how really I established the business um, on my own. Did any did any of them stick around and turn into recruiters or no, no, no? Um, actually, actually, no. That's a lie. One of the ones I hired um, was a an English lady I met I met watching the World Cup in Redondo Beach. Right. She came in couple of days a week um no then it became full time uh, and she's still here today but she she wasn't an out of work actress she was just right. someone i met in a pub but i wasn't drinking yeah. <laughs> good on you so but the actresses what how did that because I, I can see that they're, you know they're on the phone they're, they're generating candidates yeah why why did they not stick around or how did that all plan, pan out oh i yeah it was never i mean they wanted to be actresses i think yeah. they i mean you and I both know if you're four days a week, you're coming in and making 150 cold calls a day. It's pretty. And, 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 you know, if you're making a, in this market, if you're making 150 calls, you're probably speaking to 10, 15 yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, and one of them might be interested. So it's, it is really, really hard, really hard. And you, and you can't continue doing that uh, forever. So it, it was only ever a part-time thing. Right. So you, you're building your own business opus. Yeah. How did, it, how did that progress? Um, so we're now in 2015, 16, and um, we'd had a, a really good run. Actually, um, a friend of mine called Fiona, who worked at Hanover in London in 1997, yeah. Years ago, I put a post on another post on Facebook saying I need, need to hire some more people. And she reached out to me and said, G'day, mate. Uh, I guess you wouldn't, you don't want to employ someone like me. And I went, hang on a minute, that might work. So she ended up coming over. We got her a visa. And so Fiona and I worked uh, closely together and um, we were doing really well. And then the phone went and it was um it was late no mid 2016 james emmett called i got on the phone with james and I, i'd always wanted to work with james again um he's a great mentor of mine and he said look we're let's, let's build a business together i went all right i like the sound of that because I was working probably three, four days a week. I was playing golf. I was living on the beach. It was very much a life, very much a lifestyle business back then. 
And uh, <clears throat> James came over, ended are up... You still, are you still drinking at this point? No, not then. No. Um, ended up doing a deal with, with Will, the guy that had acquired 50% of my business, bought Will out, and then... So in 2000, 2016 was the last year on my own. It was, that was actually a pretty tough year. We turned over about half a million, nothing. Fast forward 12 months with when I was back with Hanover, we did 1.8 million in our first 12 months as Hanover again. We moved into some you know, lovely new offices. You just transitioned the business into Hanover, basically. Yeah. And the interesting thing in 16 was when I started working, I got introduced to our now biggest client and started doing some some work with them and um the minute that client saw i was now part of hanover with like the bigger mothership if you like mm. the mandate started just coming in left right and center and so really? it just the, the business just took off how many people were in your own business when you merged it was it just you back then it was just me and jenny um yeah. jenny's the the lady i met um, watching the World Cup, right? Uh, so doing half a million is not when it's just you two, ain't that bad? Like I thought it was big team doing half a million, but no, it's still no. pretty good, right? It was, it was okay. Uh, but I, but remember, I was still two hundred and fifty grand in personal debt to for tax, credit card, family. Uh, it was, um, it was a pretty rough time. Yeah, pretty rough time. Um, but then when James came on board and we became Hanover, it just, people have always asked me what, what changed. Um, apart from the name, it was lots of little things like having James there as a, as a support every morning on the phone, he'd fly out five, six times a year. Um, and having some structure, uh, and uh, just lots of little things. And it just, it just worked. But I still think, I still think to, to this day that the Britishness helps or has helped. Certainly when, when I'm visiting our biggest client, um, they love the fact that some of us here sound different and, and representing, because you know this more than me. I don't think there's many British recruitment firms that have successfully launched and and grown in the us certainly not in the, the smaller regional boutique size I, I don't i don't know i might be wrong there but it's been an incredible success in, in how hanover has built i mean the us is now as big as the the uk business hmm. that's so talk us through that then so you what year was it that it changed 2017 was it end of 16 beginning of 17 that's yeah. when i started hoxa i remember it well so at that time, there's two of you. What did you act, like? You say James in the corner picking up the phone. But if someone's listening, thinking, "Right, I, you know, I want to learn from this," how, let's break down some of the things that actually went on that you can track back to making positive change. Yeah. So, well, the first thing we did is it may seem simple. We moved into some smart offices, right. okay, um, and we hi went about hiring three or four uh, associate level, researcher level. Um, uh, individuals um we did that through friends of friends adverts on indeed interviewed a bunch of people and back then the business was still just 
financial advisors. So yeah. these these people would come in and they would make they'd have to make a hundred, a bit like the the previous yeah. part-time staff. That's all we did. That's all we did. And so James started putting some some processes in place. So we tracked the numbers, we tracked um, engagements, and we started building up a picture. Um, but then the three or four clients, one of those clients started wanting to diversify what we did. So they would say, right now, go and find me a banker, a private banker. And I said, well, what's one of them? I don't know what that yeah. is. Go and meet my top banker. So that's what I did. Yeah. So we did that. Um, now I need a credit officer. And so it very slowly, we went from a hundred percent contingent to probably within a year, 50% retained. Did you need any coaching or advice on how to sell a retainer? Or was it something that you just worked out yourself? Do you know what? I didn't sell the retainer. The retain the, the client called me up and said, I've got a retainer for you. I mean, right. it, was, it, was, it was just like that. Um, so it was an, inc we were, we've been very, very fortunate that with this one client that, you know, we've done 250 retainers with them now in five wow. years. Wow. That's incredible. A senior level as well. So yeah. you you start winning retainers. Yeah. How did your how did your role change as the headcount change? Because you can't just do the face off to the business forever, right? So there must be a, a point where you've got to think about the infrastructure and the coaching and the team leadership and all the other stuff. Well, James was very much front and center with that. He was out here a lot. Right. <clears throat> I mean, that's probably not my strength. Um and then we uh, we transplanted a guy called Dan James, who was in Hanover in London. He came over to New York. He's always wanted to work in New York. So he was out in New York and he was like my West Coast, sorry, East Coast, um, because we started getting retainers on the East Coast. And I said, well, I've got no one to do it. So Dan came over and then I called up uh, a guy called John Chudzik who I mentioned earlier, by then he was running his own little search firm up in Stowe, Vermont, in a ski resort that where he lived. And I said, hey, what are you doing? Um, he's, uh, we got talking. I said, I think, come work with us. So all he was doing back then is what I used to do in my bedroom and just make cold calls all day. So I, we could offer him more variety and and some some colleagues. So... John and Dan both joined in on the East Coast. And my role then was really just managing that relationship at, at the top end with that one client. And, um, you know, that client would say, right, I need you in Florida, go to Florida. I need you in North New York, go and meet the head of the bank in New York. And, and I would just, I was out there just meeting, being introduced to as many executives and, and leaders of, of that business as I could, winning retainers, and then passing them off. To so people. you were the main business developer for the whole business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that relationship um, very quickly became a seven-figure relationship for the for us. Yeah. Um, and I remember the the time we did our first million. It was like, whoa, it's crazy. That's amazing with one client. So you've got. James in your corner who's coming over and helping. You've got yeah. team building. You've got a guy now in uh, – was it the guy, John, that you mentioned, did he come to you in L.A. or did he go somewhere else? 
No, he stayed. He stayed and is still there today in in Stowe, Vermont, right, right. right in the top right hand corner of America. Right. Um, but he would come out, yeah, yeah. And, and Dan would come out here. I'd go out there, um, and you know the business went from you know one point eight to two point eight three million the next year, and but I was doing everything yeah. in terms of running the business. Uh, I used to go in the office every Saturday, some Sundays, because Hanover is very, very good at tracking information. So we have things called trackers where everything has to be up to date, number of calls. I mean, it was like I was swamped. Yeah. And then if we fast forward a little bit, 2000 and just before COVID actually, 2000, in January 2020, I was at a board meeting in London because Hanover had another small American business that concentrated just in um, the insurance and actuarial world. And we were all sitting around the table. I said, guys, we should just merge the two businesses. Hmm. So, I mean, in an unbelievable stroke of good fortune, we did not knowing the tsunami that was coming down the road with COVID. And so we, we merged the two businesses. So all of a sudden I had helping me two additional leaders in the Hanover business. You had James Ridd and Alex Curtis. And then Alex moved out here to the West coast, James Ridd, the plan was for him to be in, in New York uh, and they would basically run the two coasts. And I would be, I'd continue to be, the public face, uh, go and develop yeah. that client and others. Uh, and so my day-to-day -day responsibility of running the business kind of ebbed away a bit. And I was left to just grow that relationship. And that was pre-COVID. So how did, how did that then end up playing out for you and when COVID kicked in? Um, unbelievably well. I mean, we had our best two years ever in the two years of COVID. I mean, yeah. it was, it was phenomenal. Um, it was a stroke of luck that we happened to do it at that time. Obviously, you know, I still get a bit of PTSD from when, when COVID hit because yeah. I think, Oh my God, are we going to have a business? But our big client double, almost doubled in size during COVID. And, um, so we just, we, we, you know, we rode that wave. Here's a message from our newest sponsor in 2023, The Recruit Hub. Are you thinking about starting a recruiting business in the UK or the USA? If you've thought about it, if you've got any desire to start a recruiting business in the future, or you might have just started up and you think, am I doing it right? Then you can download a startup blueprint and access key information. Information relating to funding. How much money do you actually need and what are your options? Knowing where you stand, you know, what is your non-compete and do you have any restrictions you really need to consider? Do you need a co-founder? What do you need to know about going alone, going with someone else? How to automate your way to billing faster? Business planning basics, things like what is a business plan and how do you write one? Um, and then how do you come up with a name and build a brand? Now, if you are interested in taking this document, our newest sponsor are giving it away for free. They are called Recruit Hub, and you can get it at recruit-hub.com forward slash startup hyphen blueprint. The link to this message is in the show notes. So go away, get that free information, 
and see if you're capable of starting a new business or the business you've just started, is it set up for success? Let me know. So since then, you've had leaders driving the the people, if you like, and, and yeah. managing the, the, all the stuff that you don't really like getting into. And then you've yeah. been able to still be client development. Winning client the development and uh, I have maintained my 20 cold calls a day into so the, the market out here sean is so different to the uk with with financial advisors most financial advisors in the uk i think uh are salary bonus okay yeah. out here they're all commission only yeah and if you if you move a, a financial advisor that is i know doing 10 million a year in revenue so his book of business is generating 10 million dollars a year for merrill lynch for example yeah our clients or other wealth management firms are going to pay that man or woman 20 million dollars to move they get paid double what they're doing cash up front to move right so when i got here i'm thinking well geez why don't they move every year yeah <laughs> But they can't because they once when they when they move they're locked in for ten years. Right. So it is a highly competitive market. That's why these people get called four or five so, times. So the more you move people, the less product you have to move because they're locked in. Then they're locked in. But there's there's thirty thousand of them. There's yeah. plenty of them, and there is a there is a way of finding out when people's uh, right deals Contact. are coming to an yeah. end. But the, the the main the point I'm making is. Over the 15, 14 years I've been here, I've built relationships with advisors and teams. Some have become friends uh, and I've moved some of them. Uh, and those fees are uh, astronomical. What do you charge? Yeah, so if someone gets that $2 million to move, so if, 20 million. So if, what... if, you move a, if you move a $10 million team, recruitment firms, not just Hanover, other, all firms here, the standard industry is 6% of that. So you're getting a six hundred thousand dollar fee. Wow. How many of them a year would you do? One or two. Yeah. So you'd be working. How many other deals would you do outside of that? Or would you be working it for a small amount of the deals per year? Well, my, I, whew, I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, we had. I mean, it got to a point during COVID where. The phone would go and go oh god it's more work i mean we were we were absolutely slammed and and still are slammed here mm. i mean it's you know it's taken a bit of a it's come off a little bit with um the headwinds in the market right now but um it, it, it got to a point where we were winning so much business that we were having to that well do we have do we have the 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 man and woman power here to to fulfill those yeah. assignments i mean we our associates could be working on four or five different retainers at, all at the same time sounds busy but lucrative and exciting yeah yeah it was it is what? it is we talked about this before the show so the market in you know in the last month has, has changed with the likes of um silicon valley bank i think there's been some work going on at signature bank yeah there's been a number of press releases around you know, I think it was HSBC bought SVB for a pound, didn't they, or something? In the UK. In the they, UK, yeah. What happened to them in the US? They were just bought this week by 
First Citizens Business Bank, I think, who I don't know. Could you, I mean, say no if it's not possible, but could you explain why what's gone on, like in, in really simple layman's language, that why has this happened? Why have this bank gone bust? So Silicon Valley Bank um, was a bank for, it was known as a bank for tech, technology firms, venture capital firms, private equity firms. And they would hold huge amounts of cash deposits. Okay, because, you know, if you're running a technology firm and you get funding from a venture capital firm, let's say they give you $2 million to, to get your business going. The venture capital firm will say, make sure you put your money with Silicon Valley Bank, because that's mm -hmm. what we do. Yeah. Um, and that was great during um, the period of very low interest rates. 12 months ago, when the Fed started raising rates, but very quickly, in the, you know, the fastest they've ever raised them, very, very aggressively, mm -hmm. suddenly those deposits, the bank's got to do something with them. Uh, because they're, they're not they're, they're not paying interest on them and they're not earning as much money on them so what silicon valley did is they went and bought a load of treasuries which are bonds with the us government right. that are a, 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 you know and their value goes up and down and then i mean i'm no expert on this stuff but you know at the start of the year it became apparent that those bonds that silicon valley had bought were not worth the money that they originally bought them for so um what happened was the market got wind of this and the apparently the ceo went online and, or went at the conference and said look we'll be absolutely fine as long as everyone doesn't take their money out i was like what a stupid thing to say yeah so peter thiel is a big venture capital guy and i read yesterday he advised all his firms, his portfolio companies and other firms to, to take their money out. And then, so there's a classic run on the bank. You know, so all of a sudden, someone said to me yesterday, a hundred billion of cash deposits were withdrawn from Silicon Valley in the space of four hours. Oh my God. So no bank can survive that. And over here in the US, your the money in, the money in your bank account is only insured, guaranteed up to $250,000. Mm -hmm. So anything mm -hmm. over that is uninsured and you could lose it. Yeah. So that began a run on the bank. And the, and on the on the Friday, the government came in and said, we're closing the bank. We're taking it over. And of course, the contagion from that spills over to other smaller regional banks. See, the banking system here is very different to the UK. There you've got four banks, mm. pretty much. You have building societies and you know smaller regional players, but over here there's hundreds and hundreds of banks, yeah. hundreds, uh, and they all serve a different purpose. So the contagion spread within the regional banking system because they're all thinking, well, if my money's not safe, where's my money safe? So they yeah, started yeah. taking their money out of these other regional banks and putting it into the likes of J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, where it it's safe so it's wow. caused it's caused a big big problem and, and banking yeah. is built on confidence it's all about yeah. confidence banking yeah and the impact on your business since this has happened to be determined i would say um 
you know, our biggest client is directly affected by this and, and they're going through some, some difficult times, but we're standing by them. And I've made that very clear that, so once they get through this, we want to, you know, we'll continue working with them. I know some of my uh, competitors have taken a different decision and have uh, decided to, to turn on these, these banks and if they were previous clients. They're not now. Um, but we've, we, we want to do the right thing and uh, we're standing by, by our values. And I think eventually once the dust, dust settles on this, we'll come out of it in a very, very strong position. I know leadership at um, my client know that we've made this decision and uh, yeah, I'm very proud of that decision we've made. I love it. But so the impact of that is dried up of vacancies whole on hold of new of, of existing vacancies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whole, current searches. I mean, we probably had 10 or 12 searches on that are on hold. Yeah. Um, some will come back. Some some won't. But remarkably, we had three people start last week with this with this particular bank where, the, you know, they're in the press. Everyone's saying they're going down and right. And we still had people start there last week. Um, obviously, the last two weeks for me, because I've spent so much time and effort building that that client relationship, is I had PTSD. I think from from when COVID hit, it was like, what the hell's going on here? Um, what have you been doing all day? Like, how have you been dealing with it? Um, I've been very proactive in reaching out to everyone I know there. And saying we're standing by you we'll help you in any way please let me know we're rooting for you that sort of thing and of course my natural business development in itself suddenly switched on again okay okay i've got to start thinking about um what if the worst happens here where, where else can we go um and so i've i've come up with uh, some pretty good you know new business ideas that are already already bearing fruit and you've got more than one bank as a, a, a oh yeah yeah so i mean the, other, the others pretty stable or are we seeing the yes. economic, economy yeah. across, across yeah the they world? are they yeah. are and that that was the beauty of putting us putting the two businesses together back in 2020 because back then that that client probably accounted for 70 percent of our business yeah now it's 30 yeah um so we're much we're a much great much greatly uh, diversified firm now than we were five years ago yeah, four years ago. I'll be honest. It's one thing about my business that I'm really grateful for is that, like, we work with so many recruitment firms. You know, I'm working with 226, I think. Yeah. So. And actually, because I work with so many firms who all do every industry you can imagine. Like, I was on a call this morning with an education recruiter, right. cyber recruiter, a cyber recruiter, a generalist recruiter, all these different people. I'm like, I actually work with every sector because my clients are all in every set. So it's like, even if one's dropping, there's always someone doing well in, you know, and there's always an opportunity out there. You gotta, you gotta try and find it. But as long as the whole banking system isn't, isn't suddenly coming to a slowdown and no. it's just the odd bank, then it's, it's still, still. I think, I think you'll see some ripple effects globally though. Yeah. There might be a, a tightening of credit. Um, you know, we had Deutsche Bank had issues the other day I saw. Um, so I think this might accentuate a, a quick, you know, dip into recession. Certainly will affect everything. Yeah. Um, because it's confidence. I think you know banks will probably uh, be a bit more careful about who they lend to and how much they lend because they want to be 
building up their their capital reserves. So yeah. it will it will have an effect. No, it makes sense. There's been, I'll be honest, over the last couple of weeks, what are we in now? Uh, end of March. So 2023, end of March. The last few weeks has been noticeably different in terms of the feedback from customers right. in the UK and, and internationally that the, the markets are slowing. But no yeah. one's saying it's a recession dip. Everyone's saying it's more back to pre-COVID level. We just saw a ridiculous market yeah. the last couple of years. Um, yeah. Do you agree that you know there's been people in the in the last couple of years enter our industry who've never even seen a normal market? They don't know what business development is. They're just working on vacancies, and it's yeah. been a, it's been an easy gig, really. Yeah, almost certainly. Um, but you know, Hanover has been through in the 28 years it's been around. It's been through God knows how many recessions, a global financial crash, uh, COVID, Brexit, um, and although it does feel like we're We've been living in a permanent crisis for four years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we we are very resilient. Um, we have a uniqueness about ourselves here. Our brand is and our cultures. I'm very, I'm very big on creating the right culture here. Uh, I think. It, How would you describe it? Collaborative, um, entrepreneurial, fun. I'm a big proponent of making work fun. Um, I mean, when we, we just upgraded our offices here about six months ago and we we made it because we wanted we never man didn't really mandate for people to come into the office. I mean, this whole remote working thing, I've never been a fan of myself, um, but we wanted to make it a, a really nice place to come. So we bought things like a shuffleboard in. We've got PlayStation. We've got dartboards. We've got, you know, all sorts of things that that. And it looks spectacular. I mean, this thing behind me, you see, we had all these um, murals put up. So we can have, we built Zoom rooms. We've got three or four different Zoom rooms. So we made it a real, really nice, relaxing, yeah. fun place to be. And, I, and I'm a huge proponent of that, doing the right thing, looking after our people, doing extraordinary things for our people that no other firms tend to do. I don't think. I know they don't. Um, I mean, for example... You know, your normal holiday allowance in the US is about two weeks. It's bonkers that. Yeah. They call it PTO, don't they? They've got this thing Great about time off, yeah. Yeah, and I find it bonkers. Like you have got to talk about PTO. It's like well, yeah. yeah. So we did little thing, you know, so we you know, we start with 20 days. Um, everyone gets their birthday off as a as a as a gift as well. Uh we do things like payday lunches on a Friday, we buy everyone lunch. Mm. Um we go out regularly each quarter. If we've had a really good quarter, we'll take them out on a trip or a, to an event. Um, and something we brought in last year, which has been a huge success. Um, in the US, everyone that works in the firm is allowed to work in another office for one week a year, wow. fully paid. So, you know, the guys here can go to New York for a week and we'll put them up in a hotel, we'll pay for their flights, wow. they go to Chicago um, and, and vice versa. And that that's really, that's worked really well. It's no, something that, yeah, and, you know, it, it's an expense, it's a cost for us, but I, uh, I really wanted to get as much social interaction with the, the team as possible. And um, so they, that's, that's really been very popular. They'll, email the administrator here and say okay i want to come to la this week book my flights wow well 
what I want to know about is like post alcoholism. You know, you're you've you've not drank for a long time. Yeah, which is an amazing achievement. Thank you. I'm sure you're proud of, and you should be. How do you navigate now working with the staff and you know the different ages and the different you know they might want to drink and you're going out and you're socializing your events how how do you get around that yourself how do you personally manage it look i would never i'd never tell anyone not to drink it's none yeah. of my business and you know a lot a lot of the team here are young and they they like a, they like fun so i'm not going to stand in their way i'll be honest with you if we're out on a company event i'll probably stay for the dinner and then leave mm. you know I'm, i i don't i don't love being in a loud place where people are drinking it's just not my thing yeah. Yeah. that could be my that could be my age to be honest with you so <laughs> um you know and you know and i've completely changed my life um you know i'm i'm into golf i, I play golf three times two three times a week um this business has allowed me to buy two homes here in the US now. So I've got one at the beach, Amazing. I've got one in the desert where I go every weekend to play golf. Amazing. And, you know, I lead, I think a pretty, pretty healthy life here. And I, we provide all our staff here with gym membership. So they, they go to the gym. So I, I, I promote as much as I can healthy lifestyle, but I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna stop my guys and girls going out and have a good time. And well, I think the key is, like you said, get out of the way when it gets to a certain time, and you just yeah. you're cool with that. You're just cool. With yeah. It. I'll. Uh, I need. I mean, I went out last week. We were in the expo in London, so the recruitment expo. We met with yeah, you know, thousands of companies, and we met suppliers, and we had we got their tu- I got there Tuesday morning, the five thirty a.m. train from Sheffield, and then was there all day. Tuesday we went out for drinks, food with as a team. Wednesday all day a couple of drinks we did some work we're in a pub and had some pizza and then thursday was our sixth anniversary as a business so we went out wow, we congratulations a- thanks mate well for a meal we had a couple of people from from south africa fly in we had a big south african party big uk party and we did karaoke till midnight yeah and then i woke up on friday and i was i was not good i was like <laughs> not good but seriously i was like why why have I let myself kind of be drifted on everything that could have happened? Like, do you want to drink? I said yes to everything. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, I can't. There's a famous, the famous saying from rehab. I'll always remember is like, there are always consequences. Yeah. <laughs> always big or yeah. small. But um, you know, I love, I loved, I loved my partying, clubbing times in London. But uh, I'm done with that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm like. I've just come back and I'm, I feel like it was a good thing actually because I'm I'm literally gone. What do I really want from? I'm looking at my week now and thinking like, how do I want to live my week? I don't just want to say yes to everything because that's what I've been doing recently and it's not good. Yeah. I've got a baby on the way, which I'm really excited about in September. Oh, wow. I've got two step kids. I'm I'm very. I've got a lot of responsibility, you know. Yeah. And I'm running a business, so I'm like, so I'm going to Dubai next week. I'm flying out on Tuesday and. Um, that's going to be the first test because when I'm back home now, my wife's pregnant. There's no, not, there's no alcohol around, but I'm going to Dubai. I'm going to do one day. I've got clients to meet. I'm going to have a few drinks on that one day and I'm going to try and not drink for the rest of the week, which is be, yeah. there's a trigger. You get in the sun, you're on that plane and it's like beer, yeah. like it's a trigger. It's like a habitual thing that I'm, yeah. like a lot of people listening will, will know. Um, but I'm, I'm really, really excited to think, could I do six out of seven days on holiday in the sun and not drink? I mean, could I do it? I want to. I want to do. It. I want to come back feeling good. That's what you I know. Want you to could do it. It's whether you choose to do it. Yeah, 
well, <laughs> can I make the right decision? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. Can I make the right decision? I don't know. If, exactly. I don't think I've ever been on a on a holiday and not drank more than one. Like, I'll just run one day. No. That's my plan. I'm going to try and go to that like once a week is like my my go to now. If I have a few, and I don't, I don't I'm not talking about getting hammered, but even just having a few yeah. drinks once a week maximum. And then because normally it'll, I don't drink a lot, but then I'll do three or four days in a row and it'll be, it ruins you for, it sets everything back. Your, your mindset, yeah, the, your physique. The brain your, fog. The brain yeah. fog is the killer because you, you feel like, well, I'm not, can't think straight. Yeah. 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 Anthony, thanks for being so open. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Enjoy you know, it. I think I think what you've done and how you've done it is incredible. I think um, I really do wish you the best of luck at the moment in the market. I don't I don't worry about you. And I think you're right. I think even if it does get worse, it will cut. You'll come out of this better with the mindset yeah. you've got. Yeah. Could I ask you for three pieces of advice? Right. If someone's listening to you and they're building their recruitment business yeah. and they're perhaps a lot earlier on in the phase of growth. You know, early days, maybe on their own or with a, with a number of two, number one or two staff. Just give us three things that you think are important to to be in place in order to make your business successful. And this can be any type. Of, it there's no structure to this. Just three things that you've learned that have worked for you. Okay. Um, the first thing I would say is just being consistent. So when I found, you know, built my business from from the ground up. I would not leave my desk until I'd done a hundred calls, regardless if I'd had a hundred people say no to me. Cause I knew every time someone said no, I almost wanted to say thank you. Cause I'm now closer to my next yes. Yeah. 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 So it's that utter consistency. Um, second, I would say stay in, I have a saying here. It's called stay in the seat. Wow. This business um, can be brutal but it also can be highly rewarding, but it has a very, very canny way of rewarding hard work. And you just don't know when that success is gonna come. But if you stay in the seat, and it goes back to the consistency part. If you stay in the seat, keep doing what you're good at, it, good things will happen. You just don't know when. Um, and the third thing I would say is try and be different. Um, Create that brand where you're known as you're not just another recruitment firm. You're trying to be a little bit, do things differently. Uh, that's what we do here. And I've, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Um, oh, that's Hanover. They do things differently. Little mm. things. Because um, those little things are, get remembered and they go a very long way. So be creative on don't just be a recruiter. Become a true partner with those clients. Get to know them. Get in front of them and and Would do you say that you know more about the humans behind some of your clients than other recruiters will 100 i have this conversation all the time with my customers and even you know i think what separated me in my recruitment career and even now is ability to go beyond the job and and talk yeah. about like we've had a lot of conversation here that has got nothing to do with recruitment right and right. i feel like we know each other better as a result of it and yeah how are you ever going to become a trusted advisor if you talk shop 24-7? Like, I don't think you, you... No. It's not... People don't want that. Like, they don't... They want to be able to have some off chat. and They and want a partner. Be, they yeah. want a, not just Not just a business partner, but someone that they can run right. ideas by, trust, um, share information, and, um, you know, find clients that where their cultures align to yours. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And... 
and find that person in that in that organization that can be that can be your advocate Anthony, it's been an absolute pleasure. If anyone's listened to this episode and wants to just pick your brains or reach out, yeah. is LinkedIn a good good place to Absolutely. do that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Yeah. Wicked. Um, thank you, Sean. Um, definitely worth getting up early for this morning. I enjoyed it very much. Awesome. Well, look, we'll keep in touch. We'll get you back on again in the future and see sure. how you've progressed. All right. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Have a great trip. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.